The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Gary Parrish, welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent, and if you haven't yet subscribed to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel, do that while you're here. Okay, let's get into it. Deadleg randomly uh, promised a mailbag episode earlier in the week. We will deliver on that promise in a bit, but first... What a Friday for the Zags. They secured a commitment from Creighton transfer Ryan Nimhart, secured a commitment from Wyoming transfer Graham E.K. Deadleg, is that enough to help hmm. Mark Few win what would be a third Ken Palm championship in a four-year span? No, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> they can't win a Ken Palm championship again? Uh, they can. I don't know if that's going to be enough. I, I was thinking I went for a little jog earlier. And I, was, I got to thinking about Ryan Nemhart and Graham Ike on my jog, actually. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where you'd have Gonzaga, um, but that's with intention. I want you to refresh and remind me. And if you've determined where you're going to bump them up, tell the listeners in just a second here. But uh, with Nemhart being as productive of a player as he is, and he'll be a he'll be a junior, he'll be a third year player. And someone who I think will, again, make another jump, just like his brother, Andrew, did, who started his career at Florida and then used Gonzaga as a springboard to being an NBA pick. And he's, he started off his, uh, his NBA career well. Uh, Ryan's a little bit different of a player. But him and then EK, it, Gonzaga is an across-the-board top 15 team at this point, I think irrefutably. You know, they, in losing Drew Timmy, who is gone, like, you know, he said multiple times at this point that he's gone. Uh, but with with not having you know one of the five best or three best players in the history of your program, like that will leave a certain kind of void. Now Gonzaga has overcome these things before many times. In fact, where they've lost uh, a very very important productive player. In fact, uh, Philip Petrushev, who was the WCC Player of the Year when he left, uh, right as Timmy was getting ready to to be a sophomore. Um, there was wonder about how good Gonzaga would be in terms of the upper, upper echelon. Well, Gonzaga went on and Timmy sophomore year and did not lose until the damn title game. So uh, this team won't be that team. I don't expect it to run the table by any means, but 
adding Nemhard gives you backcourt legitimacy, which is really important. This is a huge, huge get. I, to me, this um, this has to amount. I think by the end of the portal stuff, when all that shakes out, GP, when we get to that in, frankly, in the summer, uh, into June, when some of these decisions are are late arriving. Uh, no doubt about it to me that Nemhard will be a top five transfer of importance because uh, getting that to have more backcourt legitimacy, having a real playmaker, dynamic guy, I think that is huge. And then EK was awesome at Wyoming. I, I don't know if he made our top 101 going into last season um, because we thought Maldonado would be really, really good at Wyoming. He actually wound up not being, but there were multitude of issues with Wyoming is one of the most underperforming teams in the country. EK had a huge uh, injury, uh, a right leg injury that basically, you know, eradicated uh, his past season. But before this, he was, he was just tremendous. Now he's more of a traditional big, but uh, Efton Reed is now is, is out at Gonzaga and they are, there's a turnover from the front court perspective there. So two really, really good ads. Mark few heads into the weekend uh, feeling, you know, much, much better about his prospects and, you know, keeping Gonzaga in that two, three, four C territory going the next season. If you, um, we did have Graham EK. I just confirmed 92nd okay. right. in our top 101 players. Um, he was the preseason Mountain West conference player of the year. Um, averaged 19.5 points, 9.6 rebounds two seasons ago. And then missed all of last season. Like you said, with that right foot injury. Um, but he's like, I think the headliner here is Nimhard. Because everybody knows him. He's been the starting guard. He's been a starting guard on a relevant team for a couple of years. Um, you know, if you look at David Cobb's transfer rankings, he has Ryan Nimhart at sixth and Graham EK at 29th. Now, I'm not here to, uh, to dispute any of these rankings, but if Graham EK is the same player next season that he was two seasons ago, I think he's better than that. And keep in mind, these weren't empty stats that he was putting up two seasons ago. It's for a good team. A team that made the NCAA tournament. Um, So, like, this is the level of guy he was. In that 2021-22 season, David Roddy was the Mountain West Conference Player of the Year. He's now playing against LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the NBA playoffs. So you get rid of Roddy, you got to name somebody else the preseason Mountain West Player of the Year, and that guy was Graham E.K. That's who Gonzaga just uh, secured a commitment from. So I haven't had a chance to look at where I will have the Zags in the top 25 of one because uh, the the news broke when I was doing my other show and then I was on another show and I've been talking at this point for another show. This is my third show today. And by the time we're done, assuming we go or no, I will have talked roughly for four straight hours. And and I got to say, you look absolutely amped to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, it's just a lot of talking. It's just a lot of talking. That's Okay. That's okay. Hey, listen, fun little Friday bonus podcast. So while you're setting up your point here, Uh, if you said it, I missed it because I was just checking out something. Where is Gonzaga right now in your ranking? I had him 23rd. And, yeah, they, and that they was. Gotta, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. demanding you put them top 15. They can't be worse than 15 at this point. No, I mean, they yeah. just added one of the best point guards in the country and a guy who was the preseason Mount West Conference player of the year heading into last season. Like, that's a that's a good as Friday you can have in the, in the transfer portal, I think. How, okay. <laughs> Will anybody have a better transfer portal day than the day Gonzaga just had? I'd say no. I mean, it's possible. Um, I mean, you could just say whoever lands Hunter Dickinson. Correct. Well, that and we'll we'll wait and see. Like, uh, we'll see when I would think. I would. I don't know this. I mean, 
we'll see when Dickinson decides. But Kentucky is trying. I mean, there's the hard sell from Kentucky and Kansas, and he's got a he's still got a trip to Villanova. That one will be a big one. Um, but I'm not going to scoot off this track. I'm not convinced that Hunter, Hunter Dickinson, I understand why he's the top ranked transfer and he's very, very good. I'm not convinced that we'll look up in the middle of January and say that Dickinson wound up being the most valuable transfer. He's in that discussion and that will be a huge headline making event for whatever program lands him. Kentucky right now is in the middle of trying to see if it can get him because there's questions about if Oscar Sheboy really done there. They lose Sheboy. They can't lose Dickinson if they want to remain, you know, absolutely top of the pile there. So to your point, yeah, this is a, about as good as you could ask for for Gonzaga. Yeah, and I, I I guess my bottom line on it is I think Ryan Nimhard is the headliner. I I'm a believer in Graham EK if he's healthy. Like that's a that's a really good college basketball player. So the Zags are set up. Yeah, I don't. I'll it's, promise as soon as we get done here, I'll sit down with the top twenty five and one, and I'll figure it out. But I, I think definitely top ten. Uh, it's probably Ooh. somewhere in that in that ten to fifteen. I mean, d- definitely top fifteen. Probably okay. somewhere in the ten to fifteen range. Probably somewhere in there. But but again, I'll I'll uh, I'll look at it. So that's the news of the day. Gonzaga with two big commitments out of the transfer portal earlier in the week. Norlander, he just threw it on. Put me in a tough spot. You didn't have to do this. I'm not. He said, "I no, think we." I want it. He, said I, he said, "I smell a mailbag coming." I, I said. I said, I don't know if I smell a mailbag coming. You sure you smell a mailbag coming? He said he does. So uh, it's mailbag time. We'll do it next. First, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Allow First me. question. First oh, question for okay, you. Okay, okay. All right. Do you enjoy a mailbag episode? Love a mailbag episode. Love it. It's not love my it. thing. It's I know. It's not thing. Thing. I love it. All right. I, I did say I thought a mailbag was coming. I didn't necessarily say it was coming this week, but then Nada, turn that mic on. See if I can hear what I heard before. Nada, you are you are you with us? I'm with I'm with you. You are. De- uh, it's not like the pre-show. I, you know what I heard before pre-show? Mm. Nada checking in. Birds chirping. He's outside. Where are you right now, Kanata Edwards? I am outside at the Viceroy at Santa Monica. I'm on the, uh, I'm, I might be close to poolside. Okay. Dude, is podcasting poolside? It was not his idea to get this done on a Friday. Why you wanted to do a podcast on a Friday when you're out in LA going to a wedding? More power to you. But you know what? Gonzaga wound up happening and it was a good idea. Yep. So we appreciate you on that. Nada. Um, I don't love a mailbag episode. I mean, I'll have fun doing it. I'm glad we're going to do it. I'm going to have a good time doing it. But the idea of it stresses me out because There's I no am need to be stressed out. These are the these are the most carefree, easiest episodes we do. Stress stresses me out is a overstatement. What I mean is that 
I don't like, I like when I'm doing a show, I like deciding what I'm going to talk about. And by definition, a mailbag episode, we are allowing other people to tell us what to talk about. Well, like they are merely asking questions and then we are picking. <laughs> I tried to pick ones that you might enjoy. No, once, I, once I went through it, once I went through it, I was like, all right, this will be fun. But uh, exactly. the idea of it, I'm always, you'll, how about this? There will never be a day where I go, hey guys, you think we should do a mailbag episode? I know. I, You're going to have to bring that to me every time. Right. And I'll say I'm, yes. I'm, a, I'm aware. I'm bringing that cargo over to your side. A reminder, if you want to reach out to the show at any time for any reason whatsoever, Shouts to CBS at gmail.com. Shouts to CBS at gmail.com. Some of the questions we're using today are actually, some of them are new. Some of them are a week or two old. Some of them might be a month or two old, but they're still relevant. And on that note, by the way, a mm. couple things. One, it, genuinely email. If, if we've got listeners that have been to these places, it has been, to, it is my wife and I, we celebrate our 10 year wedding anniversary in less than two weeks. What a bliss. Unbelievable stuff. Can't recommend it enough. Postmarital sex, big time, big Woo! time. Man. You had That's, some in the past ten years. Yes, it's happened uh, I, I, at least twice, and I have the proof. So we are going to later this year, late September, early October. We're going to go on our ten-year anniversary trip, and we are definitely going to Iceland. And then we're trying to decide. She's leaning. Uh, she's leaning Ireland, but I was like, maybe because we're only going to do two spots because we can't go for more than like seven days. Got kids and all that stuff. So it was just us two. That was the deal. Not bringing. I'm not bringing my four-year-old to Europe. That's you want to not enjoy a ten-year wedding anniversary trip and bring your four-year-old to Europe. So I'm not doing it. Just us two. So I know we have a listenership that is uh, that are jet setters and traveled around the world. So. If you've been to Iceland and you have any kind of recommendation, shouts to CBS at gmail.com or we're trying to decide between Ireland, Amsterdam, Copenhagen. We're only going to do one of those three. If you have a particular one that you've been to that you would recommend, you know, other cities we will do eventually. I had, I, I, I caved in and she basically picked the, the four finalists. I'm, I'm way in on Iceland, um, but I want to do Barcelona, but we're not going to. All right. That's for another trip. So if you have thoughts. Please send them along. I want to hear any of your tips because people that have actually been there on the ground, they often can speak from experience and I trust your expertise. Okay. I can, to, I can vouch for Amsterdam. I've been there twice. It's I, I, Well, then please, please send, send an email to shouts to CBS at gmail.com. Yeah. Gary Parrish, please do. <laughs> and then, no, but I, I, I will also tap you for that. Uh, I think Amsterdam and Ireland are, uh, are neck and neck right now. Okay. Before we get to the questions, mm. just a few quick, listen, a lot of people have sent some amazing emails some of these are just way too long. They can't be right on the show, but I do appreciate it. In fact, I want to send a shout and thanks to uh, Brandon, who claims to be our only listener in Tasmania, Australia. I don't know if that's the case, but that was an awesome email, Brandon. The assistant director of communications, Tom Fanning for the Green Bay Packers is a big time listener to the show. I appreciate that. Can I not get someone working with the Bears listening to this podcast, though? Come on, Tom. We appreciate you. But I got to hope someone that works with the Bears is listening to this show. Um, a couple other email standouts. Nick in Chilliwack, Canada. You ever been to Chilliwack? Never. Never. Chilliwack, I'd Canada. like to get there someday, though. Mark in Framingham, Massachusetts, sent a great email. And Kathy Kay in Germany. Thank you so much for the notes. Uh, Brady Jackson chimed in. He's coming out. He's coming out strong, Jaw. This is from like a month ago. That was not an owl noise. That's the call of a morning dove, FYI. <laughs> okay. Just Kyle, get it together. We've got an we've got an owl noise skeptic. Mm. I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. Um, I do love coming across these emails that are like really old, but they're so funny in retrospect. Someone goes, "GP, hey, 
As a Penn State grad and as someone who had tickets to Tuesday's game with Illinois, I was so happy to hear you got back to conducting the Illini train. At that point, I knew my wife and I were going to travel to State College and see a great game by the Nittany Lions. Once again, thanks so much for making our night, Mike, in Baltimore. Least I could do. It's the least I could do. Alex Gardner writes, and this is from the tournament. He goes, thanks, guys. I'm trying to watch Michigan State, Kansas State. All I can think about is the focus of the color of the... All I can focus on is the color of the basketball and think about what every coach would look like topless. Oh, by the way, big fan. Love the show. We did that whole thing. Which coach would you want to see topless? Thankfully, that did not happen with Tom Izzo. This is my favorite. This isn't a question. My favorite email. Ready for this? You guys are the best. Are we? I'm a 60-year-old woman who took a deep dive into college basketball when two of our daughters went to a basketball-centered school. Let's just say the former coach says, Let's go. I've been an avid listener since 2015 and I'm happiest when I wake up and there's a new episode. I especially appreciate your willingness not to shy away from the difficult topics like Chris Beard and Brandon Miller while other podcasts just skirt over them. I obviously know there are more of us than there are of them. And we've actually received a few emails on this consistently over the past year or so, GP. I don't listen to the show, so I don't even know this is the case. But she, uh, but she says, also, you guys need to shout out Manscaping one of your sponsors during a holiday season, since we are all in favor of premarital sex and we now know of JP's friend exposed, quote unquote, Digley on his boat during a trip to the lake. I don't know. Megan McMenamin sent this email. I love the idea that there's a six year old woman who was just all in. I was hoping. I mean, I'm glad it's Megan, but I was hoping when you said that she had two daughters that went to college to play basketball. I was hoping it was Mama Cavender. <laughs> what if it was Mama Cavender? Can't speak to if that was the case. By the way, somebody sent me a video of the Cavender twins. It was I like, know that happened. I'm sure. Yeah. It they was sent like, it to you. Did they? Did it get sent to you? Somebody literally sent it to me. Okay. And uh, they were like, "GP, you enjoy this." I didn't really know what I was clicking on. It didn't even say Cavender twins at the beginning, and so I clicked on it, and they are standing in front of it, and it might be one of them and not the other. I don't know. I I don't know. As much as I talk about them, I don't know which is which or anything more than that. But they're standing in front of mirrors and they're like posing like half dressed, uh, like showing like actual nudity. And I'm like, and and it's like, did they get hacked or is this something they're doing? Or like, what what is going What do you know about the Cavender twins and OnlyFans? Are they are they like getting after it over there? You asking me? Yeah, I'm just I no, you're, like, asking, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm just like genuinely curious. Like, are are they really just stripping on OnlyFans or did they get hacked? I've Googled it. I can't find any evidence. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I thought like I was hoping there'd be an answer out there. Like the ha- Cavender twins got hacked and they were just um, you know, these were private video. I don't I don't know what the answer is. I'm not I even trying to be goofy. I'm just genuinely like oh. curious now. Uh, you sound serious. That's uh, you, this sounds like a, a big time topic uh, in your world. I, I don't have the answer. I, I can only hope that our listeners might be able to steer you toward the right answer to that. But I unfortunately yeah, somebody send me an explanation for the videos. I've got the videos. <laughs> now somebody send me an explanation for it. What are they doing in these videos? It almost looks like they're um like Careful. if you had to send a video into a modeling agency so they could look at your entire body and s- sort of see what, you know, if you f- if you are what they're looking. That's almost what it, these look like. It's just a weird. It's weird. It's if they're leaked videos they're we, I, I'm I'm curious what is going on in the videos. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Mailbag episodes is, off to no, a great start. Isn't this, it? This, uh, <laughs> by the way. Got this from a got this from a reader. This is this is dated from 2006. 
Not the not the email, the link. Premarital sex, bring it up on the street. Not as God. Premarital sex is nearly universal among Americans and has been for decades. That's what I've been trying say to it, say. Say it. What is this it? Is, what? Come on. There's, more, there's way more of us. There's more of us than there are of them. That is underselling the situation. Yeah, there's a lot more of us. than there. There's almost none of them. That, that's what it should be. There's almost none of them. You, you people don't even exist anymore. And this is this is the root of that whole bit. Is like we were joking about Brandon Davies and then joking about premarital sex, and people were literally leaving reviews and and, and sending emails and on Twitter talk, trying to make trying to shame us for being advocates for premarital sex. What? Like, you're on the wrong side of this, not us. We don't. We apologize for nothing. I'm going to read directly from this report again from 2006 from the Guttmacher Institute. Everyone knows the Guttmacher Institute. Contrary to the public perception that premarital sex is much more common now than in the past, the study shows that even among women who were born in the 1940s, nearly nine in 10 had sex before marriage. The new study uses data from several rounds of the Federal National Survey of Family Growth. Everyone knows about that to examine sexual behavior before marriage and how it has changed over time. According to the analysis, by age 44, 99% of respondents had had sex and 95% had done so before marriage. 95%! Even among those who abstained from sex until age 20 or older, 81% had had premarital sex by the age of 44. It's not even a race that is being run anymore. This isn't a battle. This almost goes without saying. And yet it needs to be, it needs to be reminded. It needs to be said. This is is good data. Oh, this is amazing research. 95%. Tell the number. Should be higher. As far (laughs) as I'm concerned. You're still not good with the number. Yeah, I understand. I understand. So do we have actual questions to answer? Yeah, let's get to the questions. Should I, I go put first? The, yeah, I put them in the I put I put them in the document. Okay. So my question comes from Owen in West Lafayette. He wrote, I found it very notable over the past few seasons that a good number of the traditional powerhouse programs seem to be either outright struggling or performing well below their normal level using Norlander's program rankings that he published in November, 2020. I think it is reasonable to argue that the following programs have not achieved the level of consistent success that they are accustomed to over the last few seasons. And then he's got a list, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Indiana, Villanova, Cincinnati, Syracuse, Michigan state, Utah, St. John's, NC state, Georgetown, Notre Dame, temple, and Oklahoma state. All of those were in your top 25 of Mm -hmm. best college basketball programs of all time. Uh, Owen continues, the severity and duration of struggling is not the same from team to team, but I still find it significant that 16 of Norlander's 25 all-time greatest programs are all struggling over the same time period. So my question is, why are so many of these traditional powerhouse programs failing to perform up to their traditional levels? You you just decide you're going to give me the longest question. Is that how we did this? I almost took this question as how long it was, but I didn't want to take the question that was also based on something I wrote about and made it about me. However, I did want your opinion on this. I've got a pretty basic answer on this. Um, what's your What's your primary takeaway well, from that observation? Okay, well, first, I would take issue with the idea that all of those programs listed are actually, yes. are actually struggling relative to traditional levels. Like Michigan State still hasn't missed the NCAA tournament since 1997, was in the Sweet 16 this season, in the Final Four two years ago. Spartans have won at least a game in six straight NCAA tournaments, has won two of – they've won two of the past five Big Ten titles. 
Uh, will likely be preseason top 10 next season. Like Michigan State's doing just fine. If Should Michigan's not be on the list, that's correct. Okay, yes. so that would be my first thing. Let's get Michigan State off the list. Um, and then I think most of the stuff is pretty easy to explain away. North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Indiana, Villanova, Utah, Cincinnati have all had recent coaching changes. Some are going okay, some aren't, but that mostly explains that. Georgetown had a, I say this respectfully, um, a terrible coach who got fired, or at least a coach who did terribly and then got fired. Syracuse had an aging coach who was just more or less nudged to retire. Notre Dame had a coach who was great, but had let it slip a little bit. And he more or less got, you know, just got out before they were going to get him. So I don't want to go through every single school, but most of these, to the extent that they are struggling, you can sort of explain it away with either aging coaches who lost their fastballs or coaching changes or just bad hires. To me, the most interesting one's Kentucky. Uh, because on one hand, it's an aging coach who has maybe lost his fastball. On the other hand, he's still recruiting John Calipari at a crazy high level and might be in the Final Four next season. But that's the one where there's no coaching change. It's not, he stopped recruiting. Like Kentucky has slipped in terms of results, but Kentucky is still you know, assembling one of the best rosters on paper in the country every single season. Kentucky was a two seed rumor. Now it lost, but it did like Kentucky deserves to get a mention here, but it was a two seed a year ago in the tournament. And in 2020, it was 25 and six. So it has had good highs. It's got a really, really good class coming in and will be in the final four conversation heading into the season. We'll see if they can actually get it done. Carolina won it. I don't think Carolina should be on this list. It won a title in 2017 and then made the title game last year. But I admit, like it has been bumpy. Like one of Roy's last years was bad. One of their worst years ever. There have been some downtime. So there's some legitimacy to it. But like Carolina just won a title in 2017. And and again, was leading at halftime in 13 months ago to, to win another one. Duke made the final four as a two seed a year ago. Just won 27 games in year one under Shire and made the elite eight in 18 and 19. So I don't think Duke should be in there. And then Villanova, even though our reader uh, qualified, it was mostly the season. It just Villanova doesn't qualify. Now, everyone else except Michigan State does deserve to be on that list. Louisville last made the second weekend in 2015, although it was on pace for a four seed in 2020. And then Indiana last made the second weekend in 2016. It did just get a four seed and uh, did have a top 10 player in program history and Trace Jackson Davis. But the reason why is that you can't have like I, these are the 25 best programs in the history of men's D1 hoops. According to I, this was a huge pandemic offseason project I did all throughout the summer and fall of 2020. And then we ran it right as the season was starting. And uh, should the occasion arise for me to refresh that list, I'd be more than happy to do so because at this point, UConn is certainly creeping up on top 10 status. It was not there when I did this initially. But you can't have like 15 to 20 power conference teams all playing at a high level for three, five, seven year periods at the same time. Like water will find its level. Some will be high. Some will be low. When Georgetown was good, Michigan State wasn't. When St. John's was good, UConn wasn't. When Temple was even doing its thing under Cheney, NC State wasn't good. And NC State's on that list as well in the top 20. Like when Utah was good, not even under Majerus, but like Utah in the late 50s and 60s when it was was really, really good for the better part of a decade. Guess what? Syracuse wasn't good then. So the school, it was, the list was a totality of basically in the NCAA tournament era. So from 39 until 2020 when I did the list. And so that is 
all of that went into, you know, the win percentage, tournament wins, Final Four championships, NBA draft picks. I had like 12 different criteria that I put in there and it was just stacked up on each other over decade and decade and decade. That is why you're almost never going to get in a given season even like six of the top 10 programs on that list playing up to expectation because someone's going to lose early in the tournament. Someone's not going to get a one, two, three or four seat. So that's basically it. I found it to be a very interesting observation. I just thought a few of the teams didn't apply, but undeniably, you know, approximately half of those teams in the past near decade have been underperforming overall. And we will see if those, you know, begin to change course, particularly with the likes of Georgetown cues, Cincinnati, Utah, St. John's. Like, there's some intriguing ones on that list, no doubt about it. Go to question two. There we go. Adam from San Francisco writes something that's, and this is, and I completely agree with this. Something that's always bothered me is how stupid the NCAA basketball trophy is. Has there ever been consideration to changing it? Why can't they hoist the beautiful NABC trophy at the end of the championship game instead of this chunk of wood that looks like a teacher of the year award with respect to teachers? They deserve all the shouts. I also hate how the NCAA logo is prominent, is the prominent feature of the trophy. No one likes the NCAA. At least put national champions in all caps at the top of the sailboat router at the top for the sailboat rudder looking trophy. He's right. If you're watching on YouTube, hey, YouTube, you can see the trophy. GP, we agree. This is a just, an, and this isn't, by the way, this isn't specific to the men's NCAA tournament. This is every single Division One team championship gets that exact trophy. It just, the logo and the, and the glass plating changes. Awful trophy. We agree? We agree. Um, it, I mean, it, it's like truly terrible. Like, I don't yeah, understand. Like, like, the, ongoing, like a decade plus of this nonsense. Well, like the, the, the main thing you see is NCAA. Like, what if the main thing you saw on a World Series trophy was MLB? <laughs> I mean, that, that's what it is, right? Yeah, it's just a bad trophy. Like, uh, I'll, I'll let you take it, but you, you, you told me to rank oh, the yeah. championship trophies. I, and I will tell you, no. college, the college basketball national championship trophy ranks last of the six trophies that we were ranking. I, I went seven. I included WNBA. But yes, you got, you got your order? I do. I did not include WNBA. My apologies. You're good. Let's, let's, see, let's hear it out. Nada, if you can show each one as we go through it. All right, this is the World Series. How about this? Nada shows the photo, and then you tell, we say where it is on our list. Where's the World Series trophy on your list? I ranked it third. I ranked it second. I think I kind of like all those flags. The flags are good. Also seems kind of dangerous. Like watch where you're walking with that thing. Like there's no scanario. You don't break that World Series trophy. Pull it stands. Like there's no scenario where I could have that in possession in my possession for a week without breaking it. Exactly. But a, but a cool looking trophy. Every flag for every team in Major League Baseball. You've got it three. I've got it two. Nada. What do we have next? He's bringing it up. NBA Finals. Where is this on your list? I put it second. I put it third. So, okay, so our, we're at the same ballpark here. We flipped it. It's it's solid. I will say this though. This is my third. It's your second. Uh, we're dealing with multi-billion-dollar enterprise. This is the best we can do for the second or third best trophy in all of professional American team sports. But that's that's pretty recognizable because they put it on banners and stuff. Like when you win a banner, it feels like that that trophy is is represented on the banner. So that's a recognizable trophy as well, which I think matters. Okay, Nada. What do we got next here? It's coming up in a second. 
live production podcasting in real time. I did say for him to get ready for every photo. He's bringing it up. By the way, as he does this, the old NBA get the get the old NBA Finals logos back to what they used to be. It's 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 a whole thing. Stanley Cup, number one, number one. Yeah, I mean number that's one. it. That's the most famous of the trophies. It's the one that means the most. It's the one that you want to get your picture with. You want to drink a beer out of. Yeah, that is that's the best trophy in in certainly in in professional sports in north america this is and it's it's got tremendous history to it the places it's been everyone gets a day with it or whatever they get to travel with it. the stories around it everything related to it it's number one it's not even close professional hockey isn't a isn't isn't an overwhelmingly popular sport in the united states of america but the one thing hockey has is arguably the greatest playoffs among all the team sports professional team sports professional and it has the greatest trophy Nada, what do we have next? Which one are you going to show us here? So we GP, I both have Stanley Cup one. He has the finals two, World Series three. I have World Series two, finals three. So our top three are basically decided. Here's the next one. Super Bowl trophy. Where is this on your list? I put it fourth. Also put it fourth. It's solid enough. I'm the foot, the size of the football in relation to what's Underneath it, it's, it's a little weird. And by the way, a minor thing, I figured this would drive you up a wall. Look at Andy Reid hold that thing. What do you notice about it? Smudges it everywhere. Smudges? Smudge, finger, fingerprints all over this thing all the time. Well, I mean, you put your fingerprints on anything you touch, don't you? Yeah, but I'm saying it feels like the Super Bowl trophy is more conducive to bad smudging than any other trophy. And I, to me, that's a negative. They got a smudging problem in the NFL. Smudging issue. That's right. Hmm. And then like Tom Brady, it's it's um it's nice enough to be like a real trophy, but then small enough where you like you could throw it from one boat to another if you need to, right? Try try throwing the World Series trophy from one boat to another and see what happens. Take an eye out. You will yes. It's gonna be stabbed. You'll break you'll break seven flags and one of them will be inside someone's chest. Someone is asking as Nada gets ready to bring up the next one. This is not on our list, but where do you rank the green jacket in relation to actual trophies? The green jacket, oh, you awesome. win. Yeah, you get to take it anywhere you want for a year, and then it returns to Augusta, and you can never let it leave the grounds ever again. Which is outrageous, by the way. That is that's the thing. Come on, man. You're telling me after day three sixty five, I can never take this out of the clubhouse or off the grounds again. I got an issue with that. I think the green jacket is right there with the Stanley Cup. If we're calling it a trophy, it's up there with the Stanley Cup. Like everybody knows what that represents. Everybody, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, that's that's wild. That's a wild thing to even think about. If you win our golf tournament, we'll put a green jacket on you. Like that. Like I wonder who thought of that. It's 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 a wild thing to think about. You know, if you wear a, how about this? Like if you win an NBA championship, we'll put some yellow socks on you. What? Like it sounds crazy if you put it where anywhere else, but somehow it makes sense at the Masters. Sam is Sam Frieder in the comments is accurately quasi correcting us. He said the green track jacket is in the trophy. Technically, the trophy is the depiction of the clubhouse. You are right. There is an actual trophy you get for winning the Masters, and you get to take that the jacket. But everyone associates winning the Masters with the green donning jacket. the blazer. So right. that's that's uh, Nada. What's the next one? Bring it up. Here we go. The college football playoff championship trophy. I see a major smudging issue here, actually. <laughs> turns, out when, turns out when a lot of people touch the same thing, you're going to deal with smudging. So you didn't rank WNBA yet, but I assume that this is five and, and NCAA tournament is six. That's right. It, it's, it's, 
but because this that, that just looks I wouldn't even know what that is if you showed it to me without That's context. Yeah. I wouldn't even know I would be like I don't know what that is. Do you is that what you get if you win the Daytona 500? I don't even know. I wouldn't Magic. know. Now you put it in a in a Georgia football player's arms and I I know what it is. I think it's it's ahead of the college basketball trophy only because it doesn't prominently say NCAA. I mean, it looks uh, the obvious commentary on the it just looks like a huge uh, lipstick container. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> it's no good. It just doesn't look. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look emblematic of the thing you just went through. They are expanding the CFP, change the trophy now to bring up the WNBA. What are, what are those, like, what are those uh, little ch- little snacks you used to eat? Bugles were those bugles. Thing? Hey, you know what? It looks like a bugle. I'll still mess around with the bugle once every two years or so. This is the WNBA trophy. I have it ahead of the NCAA tournament, but below the CFP, it's. Fine. It can be better. Yeah, I would definitely put it ahead of college basketball. I think I'd put it ahead of college football. Oh, you would? Okay. So maybe after the Super Bowl, but before the college football playoff. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That is our trophy ranking special. GP, your question's next. Let's see here. It comes from Brad in Michigan. He writes, of the eight schools in the power conferences, moving conferences in the next couple of years, so it's Oklahoma, Texas, UCLA, USC, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston, who will win their new conference first? I like this question. Assuming no other conference realignment, over under two and a half schools win their new conference in the next 10 years. In a related note, Patrick from Pittsburgh emailed, given how UConn got a jolt after moving back to the Big East, how important is conference alignment in program success, should UCLA, USC, Texas, Oklahoma be worried about their path to success going forward? Let me take that first. Okay. Conference affiliation is among the biggest things that are important uh, to the success of a of a basketball program. I, I think Dan Hurley would tell you he doesn't. He's not a national championship coach right now. If UConn never moved back to the Big East, I think he would tell you that. Um, look at what, you know, has, you know, you kind no, did win while they were in the American. So yeah, but I, I, listening, but, but I, I got it. I, I, but I I'm, I'm, I'm speaking that. very specifically. I don't yeah. think UConn has a tro- the championship with Dan Hurley if they were still playing in the American and I that whole, agree. that tournament, we don't have to relive it, but like that came out of nowhere for, you know, that was just, that was a fluky championship. Uh, won by UConn. Still counts. Get the banner. But it, it wasn't like they built the champ. I know they technically did. It's a championship team, right? By definition. But it didn't look like a championship team up until they had the championship. Um, 
you know, there were other schools that when they left the the Big East, they felt like they they had a harder time recruiting. Like is is Notre Dame the same basketball job in the ACC that it was in the Big East? It's not. It's not. No. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I think it, it matters just, a lot. Yeah. Just to answer the question simply, it matters a lot. And I'm not, yes. about this? before we get to the part one of Brad for, for Patrick and Pittsburgh's email, like UCLA has got the greatest coach in program history running that thing right now. And they're doing really well. I am skeptical that UCLA will continue to be able to be operating year over year at a borderline top five level, which it has been, you know, for the past few years here, top 10 for sure. Once it makes the transition to the big 10, because I think a lot of factors come into play and you lose a certain identity and having that, uh, to energize your fan base, UCLA in general already has issues with, uh, with home attendance, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention USC and then Texas, Oklahoma, like leaving there. For, I, I think, I think it's a real problem. We've mentioned it before, not every school, but a lot of schools that have made the switch for football, uh, in both football and men's basketball, they have not found the same level of success as they had before they made that switch. UConn is an example of going back to what me- meant most. UConn went back to being basketball first. Look how that's working out for them. Yeah, like you know, Patrick mentions Texas, Oklahoma, UCLA, USC. Should they be worried about their path to success going forward? I would bet you right now three of the four, if not all four of those schools will look up in 10 years and they'll have more money than they know what to do with, but they'll regret doing it. They will not be as successful as they've been after changing conferences. If only because they, all of those programs change, they, they're going into tougher situations in theory. And I, I think three, I, just give me wiggle room in case one of them just flourishes. But yeah. three, three, three of the four, I would bet, end up regretting it. And it might it might end up being all four. Back to Brad's question. Who Over under two and a half schools win their new conference in the next ten years out of Oklahoma, Texas, UCLA, USC, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston. Ten years? I'd say I'm under. going over. Ten ten's a long time. I would go over, but I would go three. I wouldn't go. It's going to be five. hard to win these conferences. I know. Like you see, UCF is not winning the Big Twelve. Are BYU we, is not winning the we, Big Twelve. We're defining this as you have a regular season championship. That's no right. Postseason run. That's right. Like UCF's not winning the Big Twelve <laughs> ever. Can't I can't wait to be doing a story on UCF's coach four years from now, and uh, and they win okay. the Big Twelve, and then we bring back this segment on the podcast. <laughs> wait, wait till UCF's in the Final Four as you're it's reigning. Actually, going to be Dusty Canada. May that's coaching UCF. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it is. Actually, Dusty May will be coaching UCF. That'd be my nightmare. I say, I say, UCF's never won in the Big Twelve, and Dusty takes it as a challenge. Yes. <laughs> Let's see if I can prove that idiot wrong once again. Oh man, would that be sweet? So uh, I, I would take the it. under. These, yeah. these are hard to like. Oklahoma is going to go win the SEC men's basketball regular season title. Maybe, I mean, maybe Texas. I could see doing it, but. I would take under two and a half for me. If I'm trying to pick which schools most likely to win a men's basketball regular season conference championship in their new league, I think you're picking between Houston in the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. Texas in the SEC, or UCLA in the Big Ten. Those are the three you got to look at. And of and- those three, I think UCLA wins the Big Ten before any of those other schools win their new leagues. I would Houston- bet on UCLA. Houston gets a one year head start. 
Not that that will necessarily mean something, but maybe it means something. Houston gets a one-year head start. It's going to the Big 12 this season. UCLA is going in a year. Um, or is it two years? It's going in two years, right? We're, no, we're in 23. It's going in a year. So my order is Houston. And the most likely, I would say Houston, then Texas, then UCLA. That's, that's my pick on it. Uh, I can see Houston doing it. And I think Houston going to the Big 12 uh, makes the most sense of any of the eight schools depicted switching leagues. So it will work out for some others as well. And some it will not work oh, yeah. out. Oh, yeah. I, I want to be clear. This makes the most Houston yeah. being in the Big 12 for both football and basketball, in addition to obviously it's going for all sports. But that actually makes sense. Like that is a proper move. It's going to be tough. They're not going to be yeah. winning 30 games every season or anything like that going forward every year over year over year. But I do think it makes sense. Houston. You said UCLA would be your number one candidate. Yeah. Houston would be mine but, to win the conference. You know, you know what? I would actually, thinking through it, I mean, Houston might win the Big 12 next season. Awesome. I mean, they could, right? So, I, so the smart answer is probably Houston. I went UCLA. I, I think if I were revisiting it, I probably should go Houston. But Houston, UCLA, those are the ones. I should say, when I talk about regretting changing conferences, I don't mean going from the American to the Big 12. Like that's a, oh, yeah, that's I know, a, I know. that's a you can't turn that down. You that's have to go. So it doesn't matter whether you're making the right decision or not because it's not even a decision. If the Big 12 wants to pull you out of the American, you have to go. The ones I think you end up regretting is going from the Big 12 to the SEC or the Pac-12 to the Big 10. You know, it's, especially when you recognize if you stayed in those leagues, those leagues are stabilized. Um, you're gonna get you're gonna make more money, but I think winning's just gonna be harder. And at the end of the day. Uh, unless people have changed um, what people like more than anything else is winning. And I just think you're going to win less in these leagues. You're going to win less because they're harder. Agreed. Agreed. And particularly with college football, even though playoffs is, is expanding, uh, talk about that move to the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma. I just, uh, is, uh, Oklahoma had a ticket almost every year. And now I don't know, whatever. Um, all right. Michael Cartman writes, although Tubby Lon Kruger and Rick Pitino have all gone to the tournament with five different schools, who was the trailblazer coach who was the first to take four different schools? Shouts to post-marital sex. Now, I did not look up the answer to this. I just simply typed in what I believe is the answer. Did you look up the answer? Or do you have a guess? Uh, I neither. I did not look it up, and I also don't have a guess. <laughs> Trivia time. <laughs> I, I, we have, by the way, we occasionally get the uh, the inboxes. Uh, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Dusty May. Dusty May. Yeah. I believe he's uh, he's one for one at this stage of his career. Oh. Genuinely, one more guess because uh, I I, okay. I, it, I don't know if the chat's gonna. Don't look at the chat. Let me see if the chat. Okay, chat doesn't have it yet. Don't look. Okay, at the chat. Like, okay. I'm actually gonna make a guess here. Make a guess. The first coach to take four schools to okay. four. To the and this just popped into my head. It, it, yeah. it, I think it's a decent guess whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. Gene Barto. Gene Barto. That's not bad. Oh, let me check Gene Barto in real time. That's not my guess. I'll check Gene Barto. Gene Barto took. He did not go. The, Valpo uh, was not D1 when he was there. He went with Memphis State, did not go with Illinois, went with UCLA, went with UAB. He took three. Okay. But a good guess. My guess here, I think it's Lefty Drizel. He went there with Davidson, Maryland, JMU in Georgia State, but I don't have that as fact. If anyone's listening and wants to confirm that, I'm not going to confirm it and take a po podcast time in real time, but I think it's Lefty. I think Lefty Drizel was the first. If not, please correct us. Would be interested. You're up, Stephen from Cincinnati. 
He wrote, hey, Guster Lover and Mick Cronin's body dub. I'm a longtime listener of the pod and, of course, one of us. Congrats. Good to hear. Given the success of different programs in the Big Ten over the last several years, how would you rank the coaching positions in the league and what is your criteria? Okay. I took this to mean rank the jobs. So I ranked them. You ranked them all? I ranked every job and I put them. I picked the number one and then I've got a, a secondary batch that I put right, right behind them. But what, what for me, the criteria is do you have a natural recruiting base mm-hmm. and do you have a massive NIL budget right now in this world? Those are the things that I think matter most when it comes okay. to evaluating a job. Do I have, do I have massive NIL opportunities uh, available for my players? And do I have a natural recruiting base? And for me, in the Big Ten, that that makes Ohio State the best job. I think Ohio State's the best job in the Big Ten. Wow. Okay. Um, here's what my criteria. I typed it out. Brand recognition and program history. Fan support, which I do think does like legitimately matter on a, on a week-to-week basis. Quality of your facilities, which is where Ohio State, unfortunately, struggles. It's got like a bottom three arena in the Big Ten. Uh, but that's arena, practice facility, weight room, training table, everything. Program budget, NIL, actual location of where you have to literally live when you have the job. Because that that is actually, we've talked about this on podcasts in the past. That's a factor that does matter more than I think some people realize. And oh, then, sure. Like I know somebody who turned down the Mississippi State job because they yes. did not want to live in Starkville. Yes, that is, a, that is undeniably a factor. Where Where do I actually have to bring my family to live? It's one of, you know, Frankly, when coaches are making these decisions, it's one of anywhere from six to 15 factors, but it is a factor. Where is this job located? Where am I going to live? What is that like? Um, I've, I've had coaches tell me before, uh, Dusty May isn't one of them, but you know, you know what a major perk of Dusty May's life is right now? He literally rides his bike to his job. Think about how awesome that, that quality of life is. You live in Florida and you don't even get in a car to go to, to go to work. So, um, short commutes, et cetera, the whole thing that can also be a factor. And then how likely is the average coach at your school? to get NBA type talent because it's all about getting players, better players, more likely you are to get better contracts, bigger jobs, et cetera. So I have four tiers and these are my tiers with all of that as my criteria to me. And I did wrestle with Ohio state, but I did not put it tier one. I think there are only two tier one jobs in the big 10. Okay. Let me, let me, let me guess which ones you put there. Yep. Based on everything you just said. Correct. I'll say your top two in some order are Michigan in Maryland. No. Indiana and Michigan State, I think, are the top two jobs in the Big Ten for brand recognition, fan support, quality of facilities, NIL, program budget. The location is where they actually might get dinged a little bit and how likely the average coach is to get NBA-type talent. I did wrestle with putting Michigan, Ohio State, and Maryland on that tier with them. Ultimately, I thought if you had every single one of these jobs open and you had, you know, a top five, just a top five to 10 coach in college basketball available, which one would that coach, an average coach, be most likely to take? I put Indiana, Michigan State up there. I am here to hear your counter argument specifically for because it is I have Michigan on tier two. I have Michigan, Ohio State. Ohio State's primary thing is it's got it's got a, one of the worst arenas in the league. Like it's terrible, and and I don't know if there's any any fixing it. Fan support there is not nearly what it uh, what they would like it to be. And then I have Maryland. I did put 
Illinois, Wisconsin, and Purdue on the same tier as them. Big Ten's a really good league, man. In terms of fan support, how how um, how good the rivalries are, how good the coaching is. So I go tier one, Indiana, Michigan State. Tier two, Michigan, Ohio State, Maryland, Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue. Tier three, I only have Iowa and Minnesota. Minnesota's there because it's in a very talent-rich area. Uh, and then tier four, for a variety of reasons, I have Northwestern, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Penn State as tier four. My argument against Indiana would be how great, because we're talking about jobs, how great of a job is it when every coach gets fired? Mm-hmm. Every coach gets fired. Yeah. When's the last coach that didn't get fired at Indiana? It would have had to be before Bob Knight. It's before Bob Knight. Yeah. It's valid. I mean, Bob Knight was there forever, right? I know. And the, and the reasons for that, obviously, are... But then Mike Davis got fired. Yeah. Tom Kelvin got fired. Kelvin, Tom Crean. Tom Crean got fired. Yeah. And uh, obviously, the circumstances were different with all of these. They're all fired for different reasons. Yeah. But, like... Tom Crean was one year removed from an outright Big Ten title, I believe, when he got fired. Yeah. Archie didn't do what we thought he was going to do at Indiana, but he also didn't run it into the ground. I mean, they finished top 50 at Ken Palm in his last season, got fired. You can get fired there for just being like it doesn't. You don't have to be bad to get fired at Indiana. You just have to be if you're not great enough, they'll get you. And that would factor into that they would if, yeah. if I'm ranking job like hey hey here's one job that everybody loses. I I, I hear you, and I've I've had no, I'm not going to name names. I've had two coaches privately talk to me about the Indiana job having come open previously, and having Indiana's representative reach out to their representatives, and those coaches would be like, I'm not interested in coaching at Indiana mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Uh, and uh, we don't need to get into details. By the way, people talk about UCLA the same way. Yes. Yes. As I think we mentioned on like the last podcast or podcast before that, that's worked out well. They took a while to get there, but Cronin was like option six, seven or eight on their list. He was not the first guy they went after. That took a long time to get to him and now it's working out just fine. But yes, to your point. Exactly. Um, Penn State, I think, is the worst job in the league. But even then, this just speaks to the NIL era and what you just mentioned, GP. Like Mike Rhodes got obviously a significant raise, and they are investing more now. Like now they're doing it. The fan base is still, you know, it is what it is. It's Penn State. But I think Penn State is probably objectively the worst job in the league. Um, although we've got another question coming up here in a second relating to coaches and programs and what, uh, what, what, programs are not best equipped to uh to succeed without their current coach so we will see on that but uh but you put ohio state as the let's wrap let's put a bow on this why ohio state i not that i like i don't vehemently disagree with that but i put it barely ahead of maryland as the fourth best overall job in the league you got a natural geographic recruiting base there's players around there's there's players there there's players every all around um massive university you got every resource. I, I know the facilities aren't, but like they could snap their fingers and, and change their facility problem if they wanted to, and they should. Uh, and and then the NIL, NIL stuff has got, you know, I, I don't see why Ohio State would get outbid for anybody. Um, you, you uh, I, I just, oh, and you get to live in a real city. Like Columbus is a real city. 
You know, there's, it's, yep. I'm not going to name some random and get people mad, but like Columbus is a real city. And so get to live in a real city, work at a massive, wealthy university that has a natural recruiting base. And you should have, um, you, you should have NIL advantages over most other programs. I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't argue with you about it for 30 minutes, but I, I think if I, if I were a college basketball coach, oh, and also, um, you know they're paying. To, they're paying attention to football while you're playing by games and stuff. You know they're not questioning your rotations in game two because they're they might not even yeah. be paying attention. Uh, but Holtman's still feeling it right now for sure. Oh, I know he is. It's, I know he is. Like yeah, that like. But it's w- not it, okay. How about this? If Chris Holtman just went through the season he went through at Indiana, how'd that go? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Interesting, uh, interesting debate. Uh, if, if Chris Holtman just had, if Chris Holtman has had the exact same level of, I mean, same record, same wins, same everything. That's yeah. Would he be the Indiana coach today? That that speaks to the question of, does that make it a better or worse job? I'm not here to. I don't think the ceiling is any higher at Indiana than yeah. it is at Ohio State. I think whatever you can do at Indiana, you can do at Ohio State. I know the history doesn't match up, but you get the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. It's, a, it's an interesting. Uh, but but if yeah. you do, if you do at Indiana what he's done at Ohio State, I think he'd be fired right now. This is why a mailbag episode is good. It's the wheels turning, the gears moving. Do you? Paul, do you where are you at? You don't agree with me if you don't agree with me. Chris Holtman has been the head coach. At, yeah. If he has done the exact same thing at at Indiana that he has done at Ohio State, would he still be the coach right now? I think it would be narrow if that was the case. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I think they would have got him at the end of this past season. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Uh, fair enough. Paul in Richmond, Virginia writes, how did you guys forget John Wooden, greatest college basketball coach of all time? I keep hearing you guys referring to the current UCLA coach as the greatest UCLA coach of all time. How is that possible? Are the three of you too young to have never heard of John Wooden? Copied from Wikipedia. Wizard of Westwood, he won 10 National Collegiate Athletic Association NCAA National Championships in a 12-year period as the head coach for the UCLA. Overrated. Group, including a record seven in a row. Overrated. In division, uh, what's your point, Paul? It's Mick Cronin. Next, your question, GP. By the way, we get, we get one of those every, I don't know, Eight hours. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Mick Cronin is a two-time winner of the John R. Wooden Coach of the Year Award. How many has John Wooden won? John Wooden never won the John R. Wooden Award. So so that's advantage, Cronin. How about this? You ready for this? 
John Wooden never even won Pac-12 Coach of the Year one time. You lose. Zero. Not even once. Not even once. Get out of my face. Now, should it be pointed out that the award wasn't created no. until 1976? It Maybe. Maybe. But facts are facts. John Wooden never won Pac-12 Coach of the Year, and Mick has been Coach of the Year in three different conferences. How, How many times? Are you ready? You ready? How many times did John Wooden? Oh, the great John Wooden. How many times did the great John Wooden make a 64-team tournament? Never happened. Zero. Overrated. How many times did he make a 68-team tournament? Zero. Mick has coached in two 64-team tournaments and 12 68-team tournaments. How do we know that they're not going to rename the John R. Wooden Award, the Mick Cronin Award, the year after Cronin retires? We don't know that. We don't know that. And then what Wooden did in 1974 is just embarrassing. Lost 80-77, the Final Four to NC State. There is no way Mick Cronin loses that game. He doesn't. He, he does not lose that game. No. It's not even in single digits. No. Silly. No, I agree with you. You're next. Nick from, oh boy. You can say this. I can't say that word. Canandaiga? Canandaiga? I'd have a better shot at saying. Careful, Icarus. Nick from Canandaigua, New York? New York? Yeah. Yeah. Nick from New York. New York, Nikki. Which programs, here's the question. Which programs do you think are most dependent on their current coach for their success? He writes, as a Syracuse fan, even as results decline, it's tough to imagine the program ever reaching the heights it did under Jim Beheim with his successor. On the other hand, if Kentucky fans force out John Calipari someday, that program will be able to recover. Um, that team, that program will be able to recover. Texas might be a program between the two, by no means an automatic contender, but on sure footing, uh, given the recruiting base and finances in Syracuse. Rutgers is one program that comes to mind for me. Any others? Okay, Rutgers is clearly one with Steve Peichel. Where yeah. again, again, the question is what programs are most dependent, the success of a current program most dependent on just the guy who's running the program? I actually put together a list. Tell me if you disagree yeah. with any of these. How many? How, first, uh, two things before you read it. One, um, this is you are taking out that coach and you're putting in the average coach at a power conference right. level. Okay. And then two, this is this is just power conferences, right? The big six? No, not necessarily. I took Gonzaga and St. Mary's out of the equation. I'm not even including those. Okay, well, I do believe – I did not put Gonzaga on my list because okay. I think with the way Gonzaga is set up – and I say this, I say this as a – It's literally only ever been him now, okay? I say, I that as, I say as a massive fan of Mark Few, I, I think the next Gonzaga coach will be great too. If they, I mean, unless he can't, unless he's not. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? I, I don't think you have to be, sp- give it, you have to be special to get Gonzaga built to this. Canandigua. Gosh. But I Canandigua, think New York. now Gonzaga is so wired to be a prominent national brand in basketball that if you're competent, you can do that job. I think How Gonzaga. Okay, here's on, my, here's on my list. Houston, obviously. That's on my list. I got, ten, how about this? I put 10, but I wanted to narrow it to a top five. I got 10. Houston's on my list. I got nine. Okay. Okay. Houston is definitely one of them. The success is because of the guy who's running the program. I did put St. Mary's on. 
I mean, I don't, I mean. Yeah, I didn't include it because it's non-power conference, but it should be on the list. Yeah, like, how about this? One day, Randy will no longer be the coach at St. Mary's, and Mark will no longer be the coach at Gonzaga. And I, without even knowing who their successors are, I would bet Gonzaga has a better shot to stay doing what it's doing than St. Mary's has to stay doing what it's doing. Also on my list, Alabama. On my list, yes. Yeah, gotta be, you know. Um, Arkansas. On my list. It, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, How many teams made the Sweet 16? It's a number. I never remember this. Like 114. 99. 99. I should remember 96 that. and 2020 when he finally got him there in 21. Okay. So my first four, not, and these aren't in order. These are just in the order I typed them. Houston, St. Mary's, Alabama, Arkansas. I also have TCU. On my list. <laughs> We're thinking the same way. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's un, it's irrefutable. It's it's too irrefutable. We might end up matching on most of these. Um, next on my list, Auburn. On my list, there you go. I mean, it's, yeah, like they're the, what Auburn is doing in basketball is because of Bruce Pearl. It's because yeah. they've invested in new arena and all that stuff, but it's Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. Uh, next on my list, Virginia. Obviously on the list. Are you kidding me? Imagine Virginia without Tony Bennett. It would be fine. It would not be the best program in the ACC, which is what it's been over the past 10 years. I'll stay in the ACC. Miami. Undeniable. I was like, he's not getting through this thing without putting Miami. There is, there is, I mean, Miami should be top three on this. Top three. And then, uh, and then I had Rutgers. So that, that was, I went, Rutgers was without saying. So those are my nine, and every one of them you either have on the list or disqualified them because they're a WCC school. All right, the only other I have three more. And we're not going to do it on the pod. I don't have the time. I don't have the, the research. But if you look at like everything Arizona State did ever before Bobby Hurley got there, and then what he has done, like he has just ran road wins, tournament, Pac-12 finishes, top three, whatever. Like Arizona State. Maybe it gets another coach in there at the same level. But at this point, Bobby Hurley has been as accomplished as any coach in program history. I would put them on the list. Um, the one where I was like, should I put it on? Should I not? Is Creighton. Don't know. Creighton's an interesting one. You take McDermott out of there. There's a chance that the next coach coming in could. Is the program that, dependent on McDermott? I don't know. It. I lean more I, yes than no. I think Greg's terrific. Um, I think. The next coach can can I think Creighton is built to be good at basketball now. Okay, I think the so next coach right. can. Are they built? Okay, and then I put Baylor on there because what was Baylor before? Scott yeah, that's Drew. fair. I mean, you that's know, a good we, one. That's we've got uh, we got good old Bill Henderson back in the fifties, but other than Bill Henderson, uh, Scott Drew is the architect of the greatest construction in men's D one history. So I think Baylor's got. I should have had him on the list. Absolutely, I would put my top five would be. Houston, Miami, Virginia, TCU, and Baylor, I think would be my top five. It's close, but I think those would be my top five. You take their current coach out, you put in the average power conference coach, and those would have the biggest drops in the next, say, five years after that. Okay, I love to rank mine, or at least put together a top five, dwindle it down a little bit. I think Houston... I would put St. Mary's on there. I mean, St. Mary's is a WCC. Uh, that, yeah, I just yeah. didn't put power conference teams. I, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, I would go I Houston. Might need to be one, number one, to be honest. So. I would go Houston, St. Mary's, Virginia, Rutgers, 
Uh, Rutgers is for sure. Yeah, Rutgers should be on my list, but I just uh, the reader put it in, so I didn't include it. Rutgers is undeniable on top five. On I list. would go Houston, St. Mary's, Virginia, Rutgers, and Auburn. That would be my top five. All right. Very, uh, this is why we love, we love the pot. Only a couple more, and then we'll get out of here. Connor from Portland writes, is Oregon a top 20 job, which Paris did mention. This is from a couple months back, but it is, an, it is a good thought-provoking question. And said, I was more hesitant to it. And I am. Uh, he said, that's mind-boggling to me, given that Oregon as an athletic department has the resources and backing of Nike, high-level facilities and support, a respected AD, and has recruited at a high level for several years now. According to an article from Betty at MGM, Dana Altman is currently the 13th highest paid coach in the sport. On top of that, he's led a program to five Sweet 16 appearances in the past decade, and there isn't the sort of pressure to succeed that you get at some of the traditional powers like Indiana, Illinois, Arizona. And he notes that all three of those coaches are making less than Altman currently is. Oregon's in a small market on the West Coast in a conference where 75% of the games we play are impossible to watch, even for those of us who live 100 miles away, thanks to Larry Scott. My question, what does Oregon have to do to get more of a national perception that we are the caliber of a top 20 program and get more attention the same way Texas Tech has seemed to capitalize on their recent success? Well, obviously, Texas Tech got to a national championship game and then went and got, you know, top four facilities in the Big 12 in that same time span. And that was when Beard had a different reputation than he has now, et cetera, et cetera. Oregon may or may not be a top 20 job. It definitely is top 25 at worst because of Nike. Uh, I'm not really here to debate that too heavily. But the biggest reason why Oregon isn't more consistently and prominently in that discussion uh, one, you've got Dana Altman as your coach. He draws no attention to himself. This is, he's just, he is as, uh, non-descriptive of coaches you're going to find at the power conference level. Um, so when you don't have a coach that isn't a natural marketer, not that you need one, you don't. They've, they've been good in many years under Altman, but uh, there's just no there there when it comes to actual appeal with your coach. He's like the anti-Bruce Pearl in many ways. Some people prefer that. Um, there have also been seasons where Oregon has severely underachieved to preseason expectations. I think that plays a role. I think the nature of, of Altman well before we had a transfer portal, using transfers, going back for a decade, and having a lot of turnover on that roster, um, being on the West Coast, it's just not an easy team to get your arms around. There's just not a lot of identifiables. Uh, like, you know, Dylan Brooks, before he became the Dylan Brooks that we know now, and by the Ooh. way, I cannot wait for the next game. <laughs> and that's there. Cannot wait for that game. Um, actually, I'll take this off ramp real quick. If we could go back in time to the Coach K. Dylan Brooks thing in the handshake line said, you Dude. guys are not going to believe what happens in Dude. five years. Can you imagine Coach K. trying to talk to this version of Dylan Brooks? Like, what if this Dylan Brooks got to hold a press conference after Coach K. stopped him in that handshake line? Let's go. <laughs> oh, if he thinks LeBron James is old, what do you think he thinks about Coach K.? Unbelievable, man. Dylan's, that is Dylan, just... Dylan's wild. Boy, I, he's... The Grizzlies are either going to win Saturday night or Dylan Brooks is going to be trending on Twitter. I know. I know. I mean, um, he, he, he said, I don't respect anybody till they give me 40. He said, I don't care. He's old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was bored, like waiting in line at McDonald's for his meal or something. I don't know. It was, it was said, an, that said, whole juxtaposed with the way he looked. Just the whole thing, man. He said, I oh. wish I could have played against the Cleveland LeBron or the Miami yeah. LeBron because that would be a tougher challenge. <laughs> I mean, the it's thing unreal. is, everything he said is technically true. I know. Like, I know. LeBron is old for a basketball player. The Miami version was better than this version. But still, man, that dude going to come out and give you 44. He's going to come out and give you 46. Yeah, he <laughs> like that. Like, LeBron is it's capable deep. of that. Dude, if, if like, if, obviously, you know where my rooting interests are. But yeah. if you could take that and set it aside. Like if I wasn't 
involved in this. <laughs> like nothing would be funnier than LeBron James giving us to 44 points. I know it really would. It would be unbelievable if that happened, but we'll see that's uh, you're, you're blessed to be uh, covering and, and working with just a team that is just, there's just a story every damn day. Uh, anyway, back to the point. Um, uh, Dylan Brooks was one of the very few players uh, at Oregon that really had like, you know, that was a known uh, name. And, and by the way, like, Oregon's not consistently a five seed or better in the NCAA, meaning that it has been, but the last time it was a six seed or better was 2017 when it did make the final four. But since 2003, it's been a top four seed only three times. So that means like year over year, over year, over year, Oregon isn't always in the top 10 of the rankings, the top 25 of the rankings. It doesn't happen week, 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 week. Right. So, uh, and it was a bad program for a long time from 1962 to 1999. It made one NCAA tournament again, 62 to 99. It went to the tournament once from 1946 to 2001, 46 to 01. Oregon didn't win a single conference regular season championship. So I think all of these factors tie into this idea that Oregon is a good job with good potential, but maybe not a great job. Um, I picked that email out in particular because we did have a few Oregon fans reach out after we, this is a topic we talked about a little while ago, but it was worth addressing because it is a fascinating gig and I don't know when it's going to open up, but the potential there is sky high. I'm just not convinced. GP might disagree with me on this. I'm not convinced Oregon is absolutely a top 20 job because of the uncertainty of the Pac-12, the location of the country, but all of the stuff that's like when you're on the ground there, the facilities and Nike ties, the NIL opportunities, those are huge. It is one of the more intriguing jobs at the power conference level. Got to get that court cleaned up. That court is another factor. I know. Actually, I'll be honest. Um don't say you like that court. I don't, I'm not going to say I like it. I, I've become so indifferent to it that I, 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 I don't disagree, but it's just there. And it's, I don't know. I just, it's, it is. Yeah. I'm indifferent to it to the sense, like it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't yeah. like get angry Memphis about court, it. Which has been changed was, was way awful. worse to me than, than Oregon's. Dude, dude I, did I tell you, I think I might've told you they built a big uh, oh, basketball man. facility, like a mile from my there. house. It's just right down the road. And that blue Memphis court is in that yeah. facility. Yeah. Yeah. It's just right down the street. We could go I could go see it right now if I wanted to. There's no need for it though. It was awful. Horrendous. And that Oregon court is also horrendous. I wish they would change it. Um to me like I'll just be quick on this. Uh, just win more consistently at a high level. That's all it takes. I mean, we spent I, I bet if somebody went back this season through every episode of the Iron College Basketball podcast, I bet we talked about Kansas State as much as we talked about almost anybody. Why? Because we thought there's some big, uh, you know, there's like some, no, we didn't talk about Kansas State for any other reason than, oh, wow, they're really good and fun and surprisingly operating at the top of the sport. You know, you, you talk about, like, if we're just being honest, you hosted a college basketball podcast, you're going to talk about Duke no matter what. You're going to talk about Kentucky no matter what. You're going to talk about Kansas and UCLA. Uh, no matter what, if they're good, you talk about them because they're good. If they're bad, you talk about them because they're bad. But you're gonna, you're gonna, nothing they do is gonna operate off the radar. Um, but just about everybody else, it's like when you're worth talking about, you you get the attention. And and Oregon, frankly, hasn't been that enough lately. But I don't think it's hard to get there. You just have to do the things that it takes, and the 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 simplest, most obvious one is, is uh, enroll good players and build good teams and then one with them. You've got a trivia time from a listener. Comes You're from Cole in South Carolina. 
In 2022, Todd Golden and Billy Napier both began their careers at Florida. Name the last time that both a head basketball coach and head football coach both began their careers at the same power conference school in the same year. I don't have this one, and I'm guessing you don't either. So, so you put trivia times in here with no answers. I'm. This is for. This is fun for the whole group. That's what it is. Because uh, I, we, you know, what, we, you know, what we're doing. Tri- imagine you're listening to trivia, but the 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 hosts don't have answers. Imagine if you went to a trivia well, night. Know, you think this is a new function? <laughs> imagine you would, Imagine if you went to a trivia night at your local pub, and the guy would ask questions, and then be like, "I don't know. What the, I don't know what the answers are." First of all, the, the question, I understand the nature of it. It's, it's also flawed because um, they haven't began their careers in, as head coaches in these. Napier previously was at Louisiana, Golden obviously at San Francisco, but began their power conference. I, 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 I gave it to you. I thought you might have it. No. Here, you know, I thought it was Clemson. I thought that Sweeney and Brownell started the same year. Dabo started one year before. Then I thought, okay, maybe it was Chip Cully and Dana Altman. Chip Kelly started one year before. And then I thought, okay, it's Steve Prome and Matt Campbell. Uh, Steve Prome started one year before. So I don't know the answer to this. Okay. Some, somebody in the chat, somebody who has decided to name themselves Legendary Terrorist 32. <laughs> I love how people imagine starting a YouTube I'm account. i sign up for YouTube and this is going to be my name. Okay, hey, they're asking for a username. What should I go with? How about Legendary Terrorist 32? <laughs> One through 31 were taken. What are we doing here? I appreciate this. I'll fact check it right now. Legendary ter- Terrorist 32. Like when I have to make a screen name, it's just like, you know, I go, I go for Gary Parrish. And if it's not available, I, you know, I, I might go for Gary T. Parrish. It, it never occurred to me to go Legendary Terrorist 32. This answer is is correct. His names, you didn't say them yet for people that are waiting. This the answer is correct in terms of the school and the coaches that both began their head coaching careers in a power conference in the same year at the same school. Legendary Terrorist 32 said it's Kirk Ferentz, Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, and Steve Alford. That happened in 1999, which would be interesting if if the last time a university hired First time power conference coaches. It was, if it was Florida last year with Golden and Napier, and then you'd have to go all the way back to '99. If there is reason to correct us on that, I mean, I have no reason to question any legendary terrorist. Who are the other legendary terrorists? Like Osama oh, bin Laden. Osama bin Laden's probably number I'm, one, right? Number one. Who is led? If who would who should get to be legendary terrorist number one? It's Osama bin Laden, I think. Can you name a more famous terrorist? No. Nor am I seeking to. Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, there you go. It, was Lee Harvey Oswald a terrorist or was he just an assassin? I, uh, I, th- I think Lee Harvey Oswald is just somebody who killed somebody. I don't think he's a terrorist. I mean, that, that's an act of terror. Well, then every murderer is a terrorist. I'm fine with that description. At which point, maybe O.J. Simpson becomes the l- most legendary terrorist. All right, let's wrap this up. I had a I had a fun one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dodge that one. Uh, we got two in the live chat. Um, one Hollywood Reese asks, "What chances of Louisville basketball make the tournament next year?" I'm gonna assume this is the NCAA tournament. Let's literally put a percentage on this. I will say there is an eight percent chance Louisville makes the NCAA tournament. What do you got? Seven. Seven <laughs> percent. So it is. It's like Price is Right. I'm just gonna go one lower. Price is Right. It's reverse Price is Right. I'm just going one lower than you. Okay, and then last one. 
I almost neglect to bring this up because I wasn't on the podcast where apparently uh, you just laid waste to uh, to foul trouble. But Brendan asks regarding star players and foul trouble. How about first player to reach foul five fouls for a team to get an additional foul? So so that person would fall out with six, but everyone else on the team only gets five. I've never heard that idea before. That's kind of interesting. Um, it's probably not going to be your best player that gets to six. What are your thoughts on Brendan's rule suggestion change? I had never heard that suggestion either. I it's found it know. interesting. Like, uh, like, hey, let's let's put it on the table and let's talk about it, right? My whole point with that Some rant. That's it. Dylan Brooks is a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Continue. Sorry to interrupt. I just so, saw it. I can't help but laugh. Um, the, the whole premise was too often in college basketball, star players are not forced off the court because foul trouble isn't actually a real thing. It's only a thing if a coach decides it's a thing. Um, right. And so they're not forced. Not off, yes. Yeah. They're not forced off the court, but often if you pick up two fouls in the first half, your coach will put you on the bench for much of the rest of the first half, if not the entire rest of the first half. And I just think it's a fundamental flaw of the sport that we start a game. We talk about it from every angle. People are excited about very specific players. And then because of the concept of foul trouble in college basketball, they end up watching more than they, they actually play. The point I made is that it's not really a thing in the NBA. Like if you watch these playoff games tonight, uh, I don't even know who's playing tonight, but, but who, whoever the best players are. So let's just look at it real quick. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guarantee something for you right now. Tonight, the Celtics are playing the Hawks at 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern. I bet you Jason Tatum is – I bet you never hear somebody go, and Jason Tatum's going to have to go to the bench with foul trouble. I just bet it doesn't happen tonight. Donovan Mitchell is not going to go to the bench with foul trouble tonight. Uh, Nikola Jokic is not going to go to the bench with foul trouble tonight. Anthony Edwards is not going to go to the bench with foul trouble tonight. Now, now that I've said this, one of them absolutely will. Looking forward to it, yes. One Anthony Edwards is going to foul out with 425 to go in the game. But my point, I think, is, is undeniable. It is an issue in college basketball way more than it is, is an issue in the NBA. NBA games are rarely determined by the concept of foul trouble. College basketball games all the time are determined by the concept of foul that. trouble. It's, 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 it's often. It, right. I, oh, I think there's, I don't think there's a night of this. Pops up. I don't, I don't feel like that's, I, I don't think like that, I watch college I basketball games. I'm often seeing the best players being pinned to the bench. Although I admit that like two foul auto bench is a thing and I wish it wasn't that is out there, but I think that's more of a function of coaching philosophy than actual right. the way. The game right. is oh, it, I, I think it happens way more than you, than you're yeah. suggesting. Okay. Like you, I don't think you can sit around on a Saturday watching top 25 games and not see multiple games where somebody who would otherwise be on the court is on the bench with quote foul trouble. So my thing was, listen, I don't, there's not a great solution for this. Because the, the simple thing people say is, well, you should go to six fouls. Well, you know, my understanding, I don't remember this, but my understanding is the Big East did it once and it did not work the way you wanted it to work, right? So the everything I've been told is that that's not the actual solution. Um, I don't know what the solution is. Some people would, would comment, well, just stop fouling. And I get it. But like if, if coaches gathering their players around and saying, hey, guys, just stop fouling would eliminate foul trouble as often as it is, then we'd have done that already. So clearly that doesn't work either. I'm just looking for something that will keep the best players on the court more often, whatever that is. 
And Brendan's uh, suggestion is at least one I'd be willing to sit down and talk about. I don't. This is one of those where I have identified what I believe to be a problem. I don't know the actual solution to the problem or the best solution to the problem. I just wish that it was addressed in some way because I. And oh, by the way, go back to was it the national women's national championship game? And Caitlin Clark is on the bench with foul trouble. Right. Yeah. You remember how mad people were? I, Why is Caitlin? Was, uh, yeah. And that's uh, when people, people horrendously officiated all around. But yes, yes. Yeah, so like, okay, Caitlin Clark is on the bench with foul yeah. trouble. It'd be yeah. like we're in the Super Bowl, but Tom Brady can't play the third quarter. What? Yeah, I know. I know. I, well, I, I know. In different sports, different rules. I get. I get your point on that. Um, there, there is, uh, there is a rule they may experiment with where uh, it is six fouls, but you get it, if you get four. I, I could have this a little off. I don't have it in front of me. Um, you get a max of four and a half. And I think if you get four in the first half, you foul out. But if you, but you don't get more than four and a half periods. So it allows for you to actually have six. It's a potential workaround. I actually don't think it's the worst thing in the world um, where you just can't have more than four and a half period, but you get six for the game and it, it allows for your stars to stay on the floor. They are debating instituting that in a, uh, you know, trial run for the NIT for next year. We'll see if that actually gets voted in. Last thing that we can get out of here. Hour and twenty minutes from us on a Friday in April. What do you want? Um, someone named four hours. Someone named R.J. Barrett has hopped in the chat and merely just says hi. <laughs> Don't know who that is. Appreciate you finding this YouTube chat. Someone signed up to YouTube with R.J. Barrett had an R.J. Barrett Avi and just wanted to pop in and say hi. I appreciate. What that. What if R.J. Barrett was a legendary terrorist? Okay, well it's time to go. We really time to go. Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to <laughs> Legendary Terrorist 32. RJ Barrett says, just tune in the pod before he plays the Cavs tonight. So, <laughs> Hey, RJ, don't you, don't you get in foul trouble tonight. Stay out of foul trouble. I think they can actually afford that. I feel like I could be wrong. Don't need RJ Barrett in foul trouble. Thank you guys for once again listening, watching the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcast, including Apple Podcast. Over there, five stars, nice review. There's more of us yep. than there are of them. That needs to be reflected in the comments. You already popped open your first beer of the day. This isn't a beer. This is first of all, this is Spindrift. Yeah. Seltzer. Oh. What you is getting on it? Spindrift? I don't know. I've never heard of that in my taking life. Over. Yeah, this is a little taking over what? What is it taking over? It's everywhere these days. Spindrift? Spindrift? Spindrift seltzer, yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, I've never seen a spindrift in my uh, life. All right, and get ready for it now. Guaranteeing in the next week you'll see it at least twice. It's going to be. How does that work? How does that work? I don't know. You ever like, you learn a word for the first time and then suddenly it pops into your life like 72 hours later? You're like, I don't, I do not learn any more words. I don't, haven't learned a new word in years. When's the last time you think you learned a new word? Uh, Try and learn them weekly, to be honest. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I stopped. Out I, there, I, feel like I, I feel like I know enough words. Yeah, no. Always looking to expand. I'm done. I don't need any more words. I got I got I got all the words I need. Okay. <laughs> you know, Eli, yeah, when you're working with a six-minute read, that's true. But when, when you're chasing 24-minute reads, I'm always in search of some words. I was going to say, if you enjoyed the mailbag episode, please tweet at Gary Parish CBS. Let him know how much you enjoyed it. And you can always email us literally for any reason whatsoever. Shouts to CBS at gmail.com. 
Um, in all sincerity, we get the most random stuff in the season that we can't incorporate into the season. But I, I appreciate it. Nada and I read through it. Uh, oh, last thing. I just see it in the comments. Hmm. Nada, get on this thing right now. Yes. Is this record the final four and one? This is the final one, 56, 42, and two for GP. And then I was 60, 39, and two. Does that take into account the final four, two national semifinals, and the uh, Astros, White Sox? No, only because after that last, the, the previous week, there was no chance of him catching you. So therefore, right, he definitely won. He took the Strohs and they won. So that gives him 57. And then uh, I think he went 0 and 2 in the final four. So yeah, we'll go 57, 44, and 2. Uh, the point is, you were you were surmounted. Quite I know. I know. Yeah. And I, and I did pay. We never made an official bet, but I did pay what we decided was yeah. my bet, which was I, I I paid for your Astros White you Sox did. ticket. He did. Now he did. Now GP did pick up the ticket for Astros White Sox. It, technically, like three years ago, I won the season long one, and you were supposed to pay for a concert ticket for me. So is that still on the table, or is yeah, that yeah, whatever, man? Whatever. Just tell me what. Just tell me your. Just send me your Venmo and tell me what you think I owe you. No, no. I will. We will use it for a concert <laughs> at some point. But I feel like that's that's fair. And listen, I will. I bought eight hundred dollars worth of Astros tickets <laughs> that night. Eight hundred dollars worth of Astros tickets. I have a uh, bad habit about that. I'll like. I'll say, hey, I'll just buy, do it, and everybody can pay me back. And then if you never mention to me that that you that you owe me, my, I'll just, just say, I just, just I just won't ever bring it up. And even if you do mention it to me, oh, if you catch me at the right time, I'll yes. tell you not to worry about it. And that's we talked then, about this like a month. And ago. that's how you lose eight hundred. You owe me money. You <laughs> owe me money, Gary Parrish. And you're like, I, I guess I do. I don't know. That's how you. That's how you lose eight hundred dollars on a Friday night at the Vinyl Four. But you make a lifetime memory. All right, let's get the hell out of here. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then. Bye-bye. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.